I'm not even so much looking for the ability to code. I am more so looking for the ability and the desire to learn. Welcome to Lawagon Live. This week we have Barney Jackson speaking to us, Head of Engineering at All Plants. Barney spent the last 10 years working on social impact and environmentally focused companies, and he joined All Plants to make a change. All Plants offers vegan hand-prepared meals that can be delivered all over the UK. They even secured 3.9 million euros this year. Keep listening to hear all about sustainability, entrepreneurship, and the food tech industry. I think as, as with any startup role, it's changed quite a lot over, um, over time. Um, over the two years I've been at All Plants in particular. Um, right now, my day is probably split between four things primarily. I do quite a lot of uh, hiring and interviewing for the engineering team. A fair amount of my time is spent uh, thinking about the roadmap and architecture for technology at All Plants. I also spend a fair amount of time working directly with members of the engineering team, unblocking them on particular issues, pairing on things together, working with groups, workshopping ideas, um, reviewing pull requests, that kind of thing. And then the last part of my day is probably things like one-to-ones with team members, uh, helping people with their progression and basically thinking about what they need to personally succeed and grow as a team and in individuals. I did actually have a, a promotion recently as well. So um, I've taken on some leadership responsibility from, from our senior leadership team, um, which is more about company and strategic decisions and um, group discussions. So was that that's separately to your role as head of head of engineering? That's a, a sort of more of a strategic position. Yes. Yeah. Um, to be, I think, director of technology officially now is my title. But yes, that's um, working with the other uh, leaders in the business from other departments at a more strategic level, as well as um, the other things I'm doing within the engineering team. So when you, when you talk about your engineering team, does that consist primarily or solely of um, software engineers or is it product managers and other, other types of roles as well? Yeah, the engineering team is uh, strictly engineers of different kinds. Um, we do work incredibly closely with the product team, uh, but to date, at least, that has been a separate team. When I say that we work very closely together, that's to the degree of... Um, we have a, a shared daily stand-up, for example, and our social events and things like that are together. So aside from reporting into different people, uh, for all intents and purposes, it is a very tight-knit uh, single unit, yeah. Um, what, what would you consider your engineering vision to be uh, at All Plants? It's a tough one to encapsulate um, succinctly, succinctly at least, because we're, we brand ourselves as a food startup, not a tech startup. So there's not really um, an external elevator pitch as such for the tech vision at All Plants. The engineering team is fundamentally fulfilling a, a service role to uh, facilitate the rest of the business, really. Therefore, the vision is kind of best described by the principles that... Um, allow us to succeed in in scaling and providing that service. Um, so my vision for engineering at All Plants is based around things like creating a decoupled ecosystem of 
services and tools, um, putting data uh, first and making sure that all of those systems are flowing data correctly and into the same place, making sure we're doing things uh, in an MVP way every time and not reinventing the wheel. Yeah, that kind of approach to a vision is what I, I try and paint for, for the team. Brilliant. And have you been there since the start or did you sort of join when it started exploding in popularity and growth? Uh, not since the start on this one. All Plants is about four years old and I joined the team just over two years ago. So those first two years were spent really focusing on the physical product, finding product market fit for the food and for the service. And then when it got to a point that um, that product market fit had been found, the founders decided to uh, bring in an in-house engineering team just before the Series A round of funding to help kind of mature and scale that service and really uh, harness technology to do that. Brilliant, thank you. And in, in, in what ways do you sort of harness that technology? I mean, what could be a good example of that? Mostly for the last two years, it's been very focused on um, the e-commerce side of the business. So we're in a subscription e-commerce business primarily at the moment. What that means for us is building all sorts of uh, tools and uh, web experiences for our customers uh, in order to order our food, essentially. Um, quite a lot of our effort goes into the website, I guess what you would see as the website, the, the customer-facing portion of the uh, business, um, which includes our blog uh, full of recipes and lifestyle guides and all sorts of delicious food-related content if you like plant-based food. And that helps people who are Googling things or see one of our ads or end up on uh, the All Plants website for whatever reason, get kind of educated about what, what it is and why the food is good and how you can still have a balanced diet, et cetera, and provide just a bit more context and then kind of hopefully coax people into the shop area. Uh, so a lot of what the engineering team do, definitely the front end portion of the engineering team is centered on creating that kind of thing. That's kind of the tip of the iceberg and there's a massive piece of back office, logistics, operations, data, and things behind the scenes that make it all happen, make those orders show up at people's door. Um, but our focus primarily has been on that customer experience so far for the last two years. Um, and would you say that alongside being a sustainable um, product that you deliver to the customer, would you say that the, the ways in which you use tech is also a sort of su sustainable method? Good question. Tough question. Um, there's a couple of different angles I think you can look at that at. One which I was pleasantly surprised to discover um, about a year ago was that because of the hosting providers we use, um, most of which actually sit on the underlying uh, Amazon Web Services um, infrastructure, they are increasingly um, using renewable energy to power their uh, server infrastructure and data warehouses and things. Um, and in some places, I think in Ireland in particular, uh, they are pretty much at that point already. So by putting our, our systems hosted in certain areas using certain tools, we can actually say that our website and systems are powered by renewable energy, which is quite cool. Um, it's hard to speak for all of the third-party services and the bits of internet between our customers and us that we don't control. 
um, in terms of internally, um, I think we can we have sustainable processes and things as an engineering team, but that's probably not what you mean as uh, in terms of sustainability and uh, no, planet no. sustainability. It's very very broad. I mean, answer answer along. Yeah. Um, what I did want to ask was um, how do you how do you feel about working as a, as an engineer in a in a startup sort of fast paced environment in comparison to, I mean, if you have worked in a big corporate or if you know people that do, presumably, how does it, how do those two things compare? Yeah. I will admit that I've only worked at a large corporate myself for about three months in my career um, before I realized that it wasn't uh, for me. Um, but all of my experiences combined with those of people I've worked with or hired anecdotes from friends and peers and mentors and things, I think it, it it's pretty clear kind of what some, some of the key differences are. The top one that comes to mind, I would say, on a day-to-day -day basis is the the breadth of the role you're expected to fill at a startup versus a, a stereotypical corporate environment, generally because larger companies are able to hire specialists and because startups require people who are willing to do almost whatever is necessary at any given moment, uh, even if that means learning how to do it on the job sometimes. Um, another element is that um, at a startup, I would say you're generally handed greater ownership, autonomy, agency, creative license, whatever you want to call it, basically more freedom within your role than you would at a, a startup necessarily, for better or worse. But um, that generally creates learning opportunities. And that's what I personally have got most out of working from startups is that, yes, it's maybe a higher risk environment, but that risk pays off in terms of the absolute warp speed of learning just via exposure and the... Uh, top-notch kind of com camaraderie and network that comes with it brilliant thank you and um presumably when you're you're looking for someone to join along in a you said that you do a lot of sort of high level interviewing presumably when you're looking for other engineers are you looking for those sorts of attributes in them that they can sort of you know not only be good at coding but also be good at you know doing doing whatever it takes yes yeah and i would say that um particularly for roles under the senior level i would say i'm not even so much looking for the ability to code i am more so looking for the ability and the desire to learn I, you could call that something more like uh, how they'd rate for curiosity and the ability to look at a problem and take it apart basically with the tools at hand which is some measure of their logical thinking and creative thinking combined, uh, which I kind of think is what the, the underpinning principles to engineering are, that combination of logical and creative. Without getting into like a sort of technical interview, what, what might that look like if, it, if you were, what sorts of things might you be curious about, junior person? For a junior person, I, and this is one of the biggest pieces of advice I give to anybody kind of thinking of getting into the engineering game, is that side projects are like the number one thing to uh, really make you stand out to a hiring manager uh, like me. Um, it may not be the same case for if you're trying to get into Facebook or another big tech corporate, but in the startup world, um, that already shows me that A, you can walk the walk, you can go out and make something. Um, 
but also that you've got the curiosity and the ambition to actually kind of take your time to go and do it and maybe learn something in, in the process of doing that. So it's a real stamp of validation on those things that I'm looking for. And then in, in the actual interview process, I would, in all of my interviews at any level, I'm a really big fan of uh, kind of case study uh, conversations, basically, where I would give someone a, a deliberately vague brief and then sit in a room with them and maybe one other engineer or product person from our team and go into that problem with them leading uh, how they would solve that and us kind of continually queuing up with follow-up questions or uh, curveballs and prying into their way of thinking to um, not so much even look for a finished or viable solution, but look for how they go about solving that problem and how they communicate it to the people they're trying to work with. Brilliant. And, and you, you, you mentioned tools earlier. Um, and for software engineer, tools is basically what languages you can, you can, you can write in. Uh, and what, what do you think of the sort of popular up-and-coming languages and how do you think that'll change over the next few years if you can speculate on that i know it's very controversial <laughs> um probably biased as well i'd love to push uh, everyone towards more python that's my favorite um i'm gonna assume that a fair amount of the audience are deep in javascript um which is also increasing in in popularity um i think that's going to continue i think speculating too far Beyond that is uh, virtually impossible. I'm not sure that five years ago anyone would have been able to predict exactly where we are now with um, what the kind of latest suite of things are. And I think that's the the bit of advice I would give and when it comes to tools and languages and things is um, about kind of remaining curious and, and always playing with different things as an engineer. The more things that you are exposed to as an engineer, the more different types of languages, different programming paradigms and different settings and things, the better it's going to make you as an engineer, even if you ultimately come back to being a JavaScript front-end engineer, just that understanding of how a Python API works or how the SQL in a database works, um, all of those things are going to make you better at your job. Yeah, so you're basically saying that you'd be better off not specializing too early in terms of just languages when you're when you're learning if someone like me um uh, um Lewag and we do ruby on rails mm -hmm. it's quite sort of broad because obviously you're using css and html all the, the front front end languages but still would you advise it I'd, I'd still be useful for me to go and you know maybe learn some python some golang something like that yeah i think there's there's a fine line between specializing in your role and specializing in your mindset. And I think it's all very well and fair to kind of go deep on a back-end role in Ruby on Rails or something like that. Um, I think the point I'm trying to say is that even if you did that, it's going to be beneficial to kind of outside of that role or in the opportunities you have within your role to remain curious about kind of dabbling in, in other things and learning from your peers and the facilities and things around you to um, just expand that the breadth of that horizon of of what you what you know and not find yourself 10 years into a career having just done ruby on rails um the the caveat to that is that there's very f only a handful of paradigms in in the programming world really and once you've done ruby on rails and you understand mvc or rest apis you could probably take that and transfer it to 
doing exactly the same thing in Python readily, easily. And to vouch for that, I, I can say that I started off, my very first job as a software engineer was in C Sharp in the .NET platform. Um, following that, I became a Ruby on Rails engineer. Um, and mm, for the late, latter part of my career, I've been mostly working in Python, but throughout been doing pretty much the, the same, solving the same kind of problems, just with a different, different set of tools. Brilliant, thanks. Um, and do you still find yourself sort of tinkering outside of work hours? Yes, definitely. Um, I, it comes in bursts and it's pretty, pretty tied to um, how much time and energy I have outside of work. Um, but I love uh, building out an idea and using that as an excuse to kind of learn something new, a new technology, a new tool, new framework, having a go at serverless or something like that. Um, so, yes. And uh, for, so, for someone like me who's uh, looking to start as a junior, would you say, what, what sorts of projects should I be looking at? I mean, can it be literally anything? Should it be something that I make up myself? Should it be something that, you know, other people in my position do? In terms of um, what sort of projects yeah. I want to build? In terms of having a sort of like side hustle. Mm. You said it was so important for in the yeah. internet. The you're always going to do best if it's something that you are genuinely interested in or care about and passionate about. For me, that's a weird mixture of um, small games, little utilities that I would find useful myself, um, or just playing with data and algorithms and that kind of thing. Um, for other people, it could be apps that do certain things, or um, some people are much more kind of deep tech and want to specifically learn how the underlying technology like underneath the ES6 actually works and how compilers work and that kind of thing. So it doesn't matter so much, I would say. What What is most important is that you are learning and that um, I think you're more likely to succeed in that if you're doing something that uh, you genuinely care about rather than what you think a hiring manager might care about or what your peers are doing. Great. And and what's a sort of good way to to exhibit that for people that, you know, need to new software engineering to exhibit things that you've done in an interview? Uh, that's the kind of thing that would normally come up for me in an initial phone screen with somebody um, or in even just kind of reviewing their CV and their portfolio and things. Um, I use the term portfolio loosely because it, it's less um, applicable across the engineering spectrum. But particularly for junior engineers, I think it can be helpful just to have one or two things kind of thrown up on a URL linked from your CV or your LinkedIn profile or whatever it is that show whatever it is you're trying to show. A bit harder for deep back-end stuff. Um, that kind of thing sometimes is better sitting in a GitHub repository that's public and can be linked to. Um, or if you really kind of want to show off your, your thinking a bit, maybe a a brief blog post or a YouTube video or something that um, is going to explain how and why you've done something better than just a, a lump of code or a, a, a website sitting on a, a URL can do. But I think there's lots of different ways out there nowadays, lots of kind of code snippet tools and blogging tools and um, site building tools and all sorts of things. So you can relatively easy get all sorts of little things, even if they're incomplete, just out there to show like what you can do. Brilliant, brilliant. And uh, I believe you worked in San Francisco before you came to London. How's, it, how's, how's the pace of life different and how's, how's company life different? Yeah, it, it's 
San Francisco is an amazing place. Um, it's absolutely saturated with people doing startups and people doing tech, um, which is obviously very different to London. London has a big tech scene, but um, it's not the defining um, kind of scene in, in London. I think that's one of the great things about London, in my opinion. It's made up of lots of different things. Um, in the work scene in San Francisco, um, in practical sense, the engineering you're doing is basically the same. It's, it's still software engineering. I think what's different is the the setting or the environment in which you're doing it. And one thing I really noticed was the communication style that's different um, in the US and Silicon Valley or San Francisco. Um, stereotypically, is a, a lot more direct. And I think there's probably a sweet spot in the middle, but I think there's something that uh, British startups can learn uh, from that in order to make decisions better and quicker, basically. Um, we can be a little bit too fluffy with our words um, and not get to really the crux of, of what needs to be done as fast as we probably should. Uh, so that's one thing I really enjoyed. I'm, I'm quite a quite a, a blunt rationalist anyway. I strongly believe in radical candor and um, try to bring that some of that idea back with me from the US to the UK um, to help people here. So sort of less please and sorry. <laughs> yeah, less please and sorry, more <laughs> accepting that for the, the long-term good and, and the greater good of the startup and the team, um, that ripping that plaster off is for the best. Um, just another question would be, have you, ever, have you ever hired an engineer from a boot camp like the wagon? I have indeed. Uh, in fact, one of the front-end engineers currently on the team at All Plants joined us from uh, a boot camp at the start of April, so in the very early days of lockdown. Um, and I actually only met her in person for the first time last month, which was a bit strange. Um, but yes, I, think, I do think boot camps are a great place to find talent, definitely. Cool. Um, and, and do you think, how do, how do you think uh, um, your work is different when you're working remotely? Do you, do you find it more difficult to work working at home or do you, do you quite like it? Is it quite good to be a software engineer and sort of having a bit of space? That's a, a really tricky question that um, as a manager, I've been kind of grappling with for um, with my team and with the others I work with for the last nine months, I guess, or, or so as has a lot of the rest of uh, the world. For me personally, it's almost convenient uh, to be working remotely for my role. I don't do a huge amount of real-time collaboration outside of um, meetings. And meetings I find um, perfectly viable over tools like this. To a certain degree, I also find that one-to-ones um, can be more productive um so particularly harder conversations with people um and particularly people who might be a bit more introverted um some some of that for me i've found has been dissipated by video calls which has actually been uh, beneficial i don't know if that's just on my behalf or on the people i'm speaking with as well but um um i think that's been a silver lining however i think for the other end of this the kind of the team um people who are working day-to-day -day on the ground, uh, in cross-functional teams, collaborating with other people, um, it's been much harder. And finding those effective ways of working, some of which are still quite elusive, um, has been more of a challenge. 
um, in particular in situations for an engineer where you would normally ordinarily be able to just tap the engineer on the shoulder next to you and and get them to glance at something or um, kind of double check something for you or help you debug something in the moment there. Um, some of that has certainly been uh, temporarily lost. And uh, I think with everyone is still trying to refine a bit of that. Great, thanks. And probably a even more difficult and vague question would be, um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you see it going? Do you, do you think there'll be more working from home or do you think there'll be, I mean, within the software engineering sort of sphere, have, having us having seen what's happened with COVID and people seeming to work quite effectively from home, do you think that will that will continue on? I won't speculate too much about um, how how COVID in general is going to go and how the rules change and things. Um, we at All Plants are set pretty much to stay remote for roughly another six months, as we see. From what I know of uh, other businesses, that's pretty much the same. In fact, bigger businesses. Um, I know of people saying they're going remote until uh, June next year and things just guaranteed. Um, I think there's also just a general shift in attitudes and a lot of people realizing that they can work effectively from home or it suits their situation in life or work style better. So I think um, what we'll see is people pushing for more flexibility in future, regardless of uh, what happens. And probably one or two more people who want to go 100% remote and go work from a beach somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, for me personally, one of the sort of attracting things, attractive things about getting into into coding was that I feel like in the future it's probably something that I, you know, whilst I probably have to come into the office, a you know, reasonable amount, I quite like the idea that I can sort of be anywhere and still be able to get my job done. Definitely, having yeah. done that in the past, I can um, say that it is a very different but totally fascinating and enjoyable lifestyle. Yeah, and talking about talking about lifestyle. Um, what are your sort of hobbies and do you have passions outside of software engineering? Yeah, yeah. Um, even within software engineering, I consider myself a bit of a, a generalist. So um, I don't really have any kind of one deep passion, but uh, lots of uh, things spread across. Um, my little sister was quoted in uh, uh, an interview that I did uh, last year <laughs> on our All Plants blog as saying that my passions are maps and flags um which i don't think covers everything or is totally reflective um but no i i'm also very much into just anything outdoors really um particularly things that involve some kind of adrenaline uh, like board sports snowboarding surfing um that kind of thing as well as music history whiskey those are the things probably on the top of the list Awesome, awesome. Thank you. I think it's probably about time um, to have a look at some some questions in the chat. Sure. Um, Benjamin has asked me, would you hire a Lawagon graduate without prior tech experience in your team? The short answer is yes. The slightly longer answer is it really just depends on the the point in time and what the team needs and what roles are open at that time. Um, as I said, we have hired somebody from a boot camp at All Plants before. Um, so for certain roles, um, that experience isn't yeah, necessarily uh, necessary. And it could be a role where um, the person 
just needs to have the foundations and enough kind of tenacity and that um, ambition to to go with it, which I'm 100% uh, bought into as good team members. Hopefully that answers your question, Benjamin. Uh, another top voted question from Jess. How large is your team? You mentioned there are different types of engineers in your team. Can you expand how is your team structured? Certainly can, Jess. Um, the engineering team is currently, quick mental maths, eight people, currently made up of four front-end engineers, two back-end engineers, one analytics engineer who works on our data stack, and myself, as well as another part-time, um, two other part-time uh, contractors who work on some legacy bits of tech. The defining line, dividing line between the front-end and back-end engineers is basically the, the front-end engineers are working in our JavaScript stack using React and Next.js, and our back-end engineers or platform engineers are working in Python, maintaining our um, core Python API and the handful of um, external integrations with other tools and data integrations with, with other things. Um, yeah, let me know if you have any follow-up questions to that, but that's the, the basic breakdown. Um, looks like a complicated question here from Tobias. Circa a million meals made in a 20,000 square foot space as a physical product company with a heavy focus on tech. How does all plants balance focus between physical and digital sides? I've read about Impossible Foods trying to stay three years ahead on the manufacturing side because it was so much to scale. Yeah, great question, Tobias. The core of that being, how do you balance a focus between physical and digital? Um, basically, with a lot of natural and healthy tension uh, in leadership, um, there's a couple of people who represent each of the different kind of teams that fit into those two different sides of the business, physical and digital, a little bit of overlap where the, the one turns into the other or vice versa. Um, I guess it's not so much about a, a balance. Um, what you said there about referencing impossible, their example is, is pretty much the way that that balance works is that the physical side has much longer lead times um, and is a little bit slower moving and has higher risk, I would say. So it takes a different type of different type of planning, a different type of management almost, uh, as opposed to the digital side of the business, which um, can be a lot more uh, dynamic, agile, uh, startup-y, basically. And when it comes to the balance part of it, I think most of that comes down to how we plan for uh, any given period and that's um we try and do as cross-functionally as possible so that both sides of the business know uh, what is going on on either side and are working together to solve those problems um but the physical side is normally planning and thinking a few steps ahead um just because they need to yeah let me know if you have any follow-ups to that one i'm, I'm not sure i've answered it fully but I'll move on for now. Um, Daniel has asked, what would you say the top two to three KPIs or metrics are that you surface in your BRE area? Are you able to go into your data warehousing stack and why you chose those technologies? Um, I'll answer those questions in reverse. Uh, quickly, we chose a data 
pipeline stack that was uh, very low engineering need and um, was kind of click integrated almost because we knew that we wouldn't be able to build out an entire data engineering functionality to support that. But also because most businesses, including us, aren't really dealing with big data and uh, lots of out-of-box solutions are perfectly viable for handling that. So the stack we've chosen is uh, at the front a tool called Stitch Data, which has a catalog full of integrations for pulling data out of other things like Google Analytics or spreadsheets. Um, also has an open source library so you can roll your own integrations with other things that they don't support. We plug that into a uh, Amazon Redshift data warehouse where that data is all just dumped raw. Um, so that's more of a data lake phase, I would say. That then gets transformed by um, a modular SQL tool called DBT, which is one of my favorite things at the moment. Um, that takes that raw data, transforms it into a useful form that can be queried, um, is integrated with Git and things, so it has version controlling and releases. And then we use Looker to plug into that uh, transformed data warehouse in its final state to turn it into visualizations and reports. And the top two to three KPIs or metrics, we're, we're a very broad business that has multiple departments, as uh, somebody else pointed out, across physical and digital. So the top two to three KPIs and metrics would be probably the ones that the, the board and the CEO and the senior leadership team are, are looking at, which are around number of active subscribers, uh, the number of orders on average that a customer gets to, which is uh, probably one of the more important things for a subscription business. Um, that could also be expressed as the lifetime value or revenue per customer. Uh, and then probably the cost, cost per acquisition CPA, how much um, in terms of advertising spend or other spend it costs us to get somebody to purchase a box of all plants on average. Phil has asked, how are you using technology to promote sustainable living? Good question as well. Um, we, as I was saying before, the technology essentially provides a service. We're facilitating a lot of the other things through technology. So it's quite hard to make a direct connection between um, the technology and sustainable living. But a huge part of All Plants is the lifestyle brand and our blog and the content we produce, uh, even videos at times, around sustainable living, uh, which we mostly anchor around eating sustainably or in a planet-friendly way. And a large portion of that is driven by technology. So we're building a, a blog using a headless content management system. We're really, really heavily optimizing that as hard as we can for um, SEO purposes so that it's um, both responsive and fast for our actual customers and readers, but it also gets indexed well and respected by Google and shows up as a, a performance site. Um, how else? And then, I mean, the underlying principle behind the engineering team at All Plants is all Plants is trying to make sustainable living more convenient and uh, accessible to everybody. And everything the engineering team does across the front end, back end, data, operations, everything um, is serving that mission uh, that we have as a business. 
So as I was saying, it's hard to kind of pinpoint any one thing in technology promoting sustainable living. Um, It's more just uh, the abstract mission of the team and the business in in general is aligned. Um, So technology, uh, in a vague sense, is promoting sustainable living. I thought I'd just give your eyes a rest and uh, maybe read out a couple of the questions for you, the ones that we haven't got to yet. Sure. Um, so could you expand a bit on what the different parts of the behind-the-scenes systems are? As customers, we usually only see a business's storefront, what goes on behind the scenes technologically, and why is there a necessar- ne- necessity to continue to employ a development team after the website is created? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, another really good question. Um I'm actually going to address the second question at the end there first, um, which I think relates to any uh, startup or product development situation uh, whereby nothing is ever really finished. Um, The problem we're trying to solve is continually evolving, but also uh, can always be improved and optimized more. Um, So to say after the website is created, I think in in the lifetime of the engineering team at all plants, we've created probably a near an infinite different number of variants of the website um, across something like four or five different stacks as it's uh, changed and evolved. So that's why the engineering team is uh, continuing to be employed because um, there's always more uh, and always more optimization to do. Behind the scenes... Um, all plants is what we call fully vertically integrated. So we do everything from procuring our ingredients to uh, chopping some of them up, cooking those, putting that into the tray, freezing it, packaging it, putting that on a pallet, shipping it to our delivery partner, managing the order fulfillment, um, as well as the website on the front end that a customer would uh, just uh, order the food through. So in and amongst all of that, there's varying levels of systems for management for tracking for gathering data um for passing things along the stages in that process for handing off a a file of orders to our packing partner to then put those into a box and for them to send us back what they've actually filled um number of different stages um quite a complex web of stages what that looks like in terms of systems um is I would say for most e-commerce businesses, and I'll generalize this a bit rather than talking specifically about all plants, is some kind of product information management, basically a a tool for you to use internally to keep track of um, the actual details of your products, their prices, their um, stock keeping unit codes, um, the stock level you have of that item or any creative uh, images and um, descriptions and things you have about that product. Um, all that needs to be kept and managed and stored somewhere, particularly as you start to grow your product catalog. It turns into quite an unruly beast. For us, that's also kind of nutritional information about our dishes. Um, but because we put a plethora of ingredients into our dishes, there's also systems in place that manage each of those individual ingredients, the supplies they came from, how much of each of those we have still in stock, et cetera. All of that lives in various kind of uh, tools or spreadsheets. The business logic as well sits somewhere. The bit that actually says um, what flows where, when, uh, what kind of, what can be put in a box, what's allowed, 
Um, how does that get handed off to the different people involved in the process at different stages? All of that needs to be managed and controlled somewhere. Um, and then warehouse management systems that do the same thing, but at the warehouse point kind of down the line with a finished product. Um, tons, basically, and I could probably keep talking about this for a while, but I'll uh, hand back to Lloyd at that point. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, one from Chris Lawson, I think you've seen yet, uh, was... What kind of workflow do you follow in your team? Pair programming and trunk-based development, uh, Git flow with pull request reviews, any, anything you found to help with productivity and to help with reducing blockers? Yeah. I often describe our style as um, unofficial agile, and the same could probably be said for the way that we use Git. Um, what I have always found most effective in the engineering teams that I work with is not to be too dogmatic about um, the processes and the flows um, that are uh, used by the team and certainly not to enforce anything as a manager or as a technical lead. Um, if a team is set up well and empowered and given the, the information and the space they need, I think they're quite good generally in the engineering space at least at um, finding the ways that work best for them. And we've seen that in the way that our Git flow has evolved um, and the way that our just ways of working more broadly in the business have evolved. Originally, the engineering team was quite isolated and we'd almost act as an agency being past things um, and tasks by external teams. We now work in cross-functional small units or squads where you'd get a front-end engineer, a product manager, a product designer, somebody from marketing, somebody from creative, all working together to solve a problem. Um, often that can include a lot of paired programming. Uh, I personally am a big fan of paired programming. I think it's a great way to make sure knowledge is shared within the team, that you don't get um, owners of systems, which is generally a bad thing in my perspective. And it's a great way to upskill um, people who are more junior or just need need to upskill in a certain area. Um, and pull requests are essential in an engineering world. I, I don't think I've come across an engineering team that doesn't do pull requests, minimum reviewed by one other peer. But again, I'd be flexible on the kind of severity or the degree to which that is hyper-enforced. And if it's a one-line change, you can probably have a... a anybody from the engineering team, even a front-end engineer looking at a back-end engineer's one-line change. Um, whereas for something that's a much more potentially breaking change, uh, I would probably get involved and want to kind of do more of a review of the software design and the way that the, the solution has been architected rather than just nitpick syntax or something like that. So flexibility, short answer. Cool. Um, one from David. Um, outside of technical and problem-solving abilities, what personal characteristics make the most successful so software engineers? Another great question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is communication, written and spoken. Um, it's something that I'd always recommend engineers practice. Um, you can be the best engineer in the world when it comes to building something, um, but that won't get you very far at all in a startup. It might in a large corporate where you can be a specialist and almost kind of just put on your blinkers and, and do code. In a startup, you're going to have to talk to people. You're going to have to convince them of your uh, way of thinking or your idea. Um, and 
you're going to have to um, do things like compromise and design things with other people and just collaborate endlessly, collaborate and communicate. Particularly in a smaller startup where there's fewer processes, fewer documentation tools in place, things like that, where a lot of knowledge can end up being held by individuals in their brains. Um, good communication uh, is essential at that point. Um, and I think it's almost unavoidable in a startup scenario. So communication skills, and that kind of trickles down into all sorts of things along the lines of sales skills, negotiation skills, one-to-one um, -one management style skills. All of those things are going to help you succeed as an engineer. So that's what I would put first. Brilliant. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I think we've got about five minutes left, so let's just do one more question. From Daniel here, uh, do you use or do you see a use case for uh, data science in any aspects of the company? Certainly, yes, uh, though I do find data science can be a bit of a vague term. Um, different people define what counts as data science in different ways. We already do a fair amount of um, data analysis and data exploration, which could arguably be data science. Um, we're starting to get into more complex things that involve um, uh, modeling data um, in slightly more sophisticated ways, using some elements of um, machine learning in one-off or standalone situations. I'm pretty confident that our finance team um, do what I would call data science, um, some pretty hefty kind of projection and modeling and things based on uh, numbers and the data that they have. So I definitely see it as something that we already do or are on very much the brink of doing. Um, I think it's just going to increase in sophistication. Part of that is making sure that we have our hands on the data that we need and it's in the right places and can be used. Yeah, looking forward to seeing that happening more. Thanks for listening to Lewagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. 